Hello and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the mostess, Bree James. Well, hello and welcome to the Pack Bag Parents Podcast. Bree James here with you. And on today's episode, we are chatting to the one, the only, the amazing Costa Giardatis. He's a landscape architect, environmental educator, and television presenter. And he's always talking about how we can get our kids involved in nature and in the garden. Now, I have a brown thumb, not a green thumb, so I'm really hoping uh, that he can help us not only get us in the garden, but our kids in the garden more, spending more time outdoors um, and, you know, maybe getting to grow something besides weeds so that we can actually eat it, grow it ourselves and eat it. Isn't it the dream? Um, now, some of us don't have a large block of, you know, yard. We only have a small area to, to put our garden in or we might live in a hot tropical climate. Uh, so we're going to work out how we can include gardening into our busy lifestyles, especially during these hotter summer months. So Costa joins us today on Zoom to discuss his insights and share his ideas with us. Let's get him on, on the show. So how can we get kids more interested and involved in the garden? Because, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge. There's all sorts of fun things to do inside, apparently, these days for most kids. They just want to be on a screen. But, you know, I think it's a challenge for many parents to get the kids outside uh, and interested in gardening. Yeah, definitely. But that doesn't uh, sit with me as a convincing status quo because, children by default and you'd know it yourself like they want to be outside exploring they are inquisitive they they're innately um in need of of having hands-on and hands on a screen is is definitely not the same as hands in the soil or hands out in the garden and playing and that that whole physical and tactile eye to hand activity so for me i think the best way to do it is to really kind of um, incubate that whole awe with nature. But for them to feel awe with nature, they've got to get out and put, put their goggles on, put their nature goggles on. And, and that just needs a little bit of framing from, from the adults to say, well, where could we find things? What do you think you might find? And get their minds operating. Like if we lift this pot on the balcony, we're going to find something under there and what's under there, some worms or some slaters or some slugs. Or if we see a flowering tree, what could be attracted to it? And they can then say, oh, well, it could be insects, could be birds, could be bees, could be bats. And then, and then you start to think, well, you know, is it daytime or, or afternoon or morning? And what's happening? You know, in the morning, nature wakes up as well. But there's also been the night shift. So going out on, on a, um, a, a nature walkabout isn't re restricted to just the daylight hours. And, and when we start to bracket to children that, you know, the day is like the seasons of the year. There's, there's the morning, which is the spring. There's the daytime, which is summer. There's the afternoon and early evening, which is autumn. And then there's the nighttime, which is, is winter. They're, they're, they're like distinct spaces. And if you start to bracket that, then you can create that next level of awe. Like, let's go on a walkabout during the night. Oh, let's lift this up and see what's going on. Let's dig into the soil. Or let's lift the lid off our, 
our compost bin and see what could be living in there. Um, and then you start to say, oh, let's go out and listen first. Put your hands over your eyes or, or, or make a little, little blindfold and say, let's just sit here and listen. What do you hear? How close is it? Or how far away is it? So suddenly there's the soundscape of nature as well as the visual. And then I, of course, smell, smell. Let's walk and see what we can smell. You know, oh, dog poo, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or there's there's a beautiful jasmine, but where, which flower is it that's giving, oh, it's climbing on the fence. And why is it climbing on the fence? And, oh, why is it climbed over the fence there? So then you start to to turn that inquiry into into science and data collection and then the next step is oh well if you see this insect let's draw it let's do a little bit of research and draw it because once you start drawing it then you get this connection to it because you go oh it's got actually four wings like that with the dragonfly and then it's got a tail and the tail's got these these side bits on it, which might, what, what would they be there for? Maybe they're there to stabilise it a bit and help it take off and land. So, yeah, I think really it's as limited as our storytelling and creativity is. And children are good storytellers. We just need to give them the platform to tell it. And in that vein, I'd say a nature journal is a great way for children to not only record, but then to review. Because if they review it, then they can start to see the nuances of change that, oh, this at this time of day, we didn't see those birds. Or at this time of the day, it was noisier at 6 a.m. because everything was waking up. And then at 5 p.m., everything was giving, it, giving us their farewell chortle and and wave so having that that nuance having that data which they've recorded and and you know getting them to put the nature goggles on but then take photos so you don't have to say don't bring your phone or don't bring your tablet you say well bring it yeah and let's take photos and let's let's go macro and have a close-up look and really really get in there and sort of go oh wow look at the fur on that and that's kind of that that's that's kind of looks like the armor of something out of mad max or something out of <laughs> out of a film where you know that 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 beetle is is protecting itself because it doesn't want anything to eat it so so when you think in those terms all we need to do is just give the invitation and then embellish the invitation with a few little hors d'oeuvres for them to taste and then they'll be in the party. I love that. What a great analogy. A few hors d'oeuvres. And I agree, kids have a, a great imagination and um, it is just inspiring them really. That's really one of the best things as parents. I mean, obviously uh, inspiring them is one thing and leading by example is another. I mean, I guess I'm, I, I do like to get out in the garden as well. And I think that leading by example and trying to involve them always helps as well. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I didn't even talk about taste. You know, I talked about smell that, you know, oh, look, that's a lemon myrtle. Oh, that's a native plant. And then you can talk and open up that whole conversation about native plants. Mm. And once you open that conversation about native plants, suddenly there's a whole story narrative of talking about 
connection to Indigenous culture and the history of the land that we're on. And then you can start to talk about caring for that and looking after that because if you want these things to come, if you see a bleed, bleed landed bleed, if you see a blue banded bee, um, why did it come? It came because of that flower. Oh, okay. That's a native plant. What sort of a plant is it? It's this one. Mm, all right. What if we plant another one of those? And what else will come? Oh, the birds came to this at this time of the year. So then you start to give the connection to seasons and that nature provides this incredible cyclical, rotational smorgasbord to bring and to nurture the best in the little ingredients of nature. So for those birds to be there, there have to be spiders and insects. But for the insects and spiders to be there, there have to be plants. Why? Because they need a home. So that grass is important because that's habitat. Oh, habitat. What's habitat? A home. Okay, so we need a home. But what else comes with a home? You need food. Oh, okay. So what am I thinking about out here when I'm looking around? Oh, that's food because that's a flower and that's nectar. Oh, there's a fruit. That's something bigger. Oh, that's a big flower. Well, how does that go from being a flower to a fruit? It has to be pollinated. Who does that? Pollinators. Oh, who are pollinators? Oh, that, that's these. Oh, there's one there. Wow. Write that down on your list. Stop. Take a photo of it. Stop. Take a photo. And then let's do some research and let's have a look up online and get some more details and then draw a picture of it and take a picture of it and see the differences. And then the more you get tactile and connected with that item, whether it's a plant, whether it's a, 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 a flower, whether it's a, a bird or an insect, the more you understand about it, the more you will appreciate it. And the more you appreciate it, the more you'll be in awe and the more awe you have for something the more you'll want to protect it and that'll mean you'll step up and then you'll become actively connected to it and actively uh willing to be an activist and protect it to say well if i want to protect those cockatoos they need those trees and what you want to knock those down because you want to build something that could be shifted 40 metres away, but someone drew a line on a plan. So suddenly that understanding that nature needs our help, wild nature, the value of plants and trees, and that builds uh, responsibility and, and out of responsibility comes duty and obligation because we have an obligation to nature because it's our home and it's not some commodity that we can just continually take from take 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 and say oh well it's just a bit here and a bit there and another cut and another cut and we'll do this and that nah we gotta so so you know i see getting children outside in nature as um equipping them with the information knowledge and capacity through their goggles to not only see the world but to understand it and then protect it I love that. 
And you were saying, you know, with doing that journal, you know, one of the things I guess that is a favorite in the garden is having things to taste. Um, you know, my kids did this definitely Alexander program in their school where they had to grow the food and then cook the food. And I was blessed to uh, be in the class helping cook the food. And there was a lot of sadly a lot of deep frying at some point and I got burnt so many times with these kids nothing's more scary I think than 10 year olds with knives and and uh, hot oil um, but it is extraordinary the difference and the change in children uh, when they can grow something and then actually physically taste it so yeah there's nothing better no not at all and and look I think I think it's really important that we include children right from the seed right to the, the 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 hot plate or the or the wooden chopping board and knife right down to the plate and then the consumption and you know as adults we've got to remember that that we have an opportunity to make that story really engaging and interesting and if we fill it with fear if we fill it with no don't do this no be careful that's a knife you'll cut yourself. Well, if we tell them that they'll cut themselves, they're going to cut themselves. What we have to say is, this is a knife. It's sharp. When you're using a knife, you are focused. You're not looking at your brother or your sister. You're not watching the TV or looking at your, your, your tablet or whatever it is. You are just cutting. When cutting, just cut. Understand the cut. You're cutting a tomato. You're not squashing it down and squeezing all the juice out. You're using the knife in a proper way. And when we as adults overcome that baggage loading, then we give them the freedom. They don't have the baggage. They don't have the, I might cut myself. They have that because we dump it on them. What we want to do is this is a knife. This is a tool. This is your opportunity to learn and use it correctly. But when you're using this, you must understand you have a responsibility. There's nothing negative in that. And yeah. I've done that with my godkids, much to the concern of grandparents. And I said, no, I'm responsible for making them responsible. And my three-year-old niece could cut tomatoes with a sharp knife better than most adults I know. Yep. I agree. You've got to, got to teach them young. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and teaching them that connection, then they understand what's involved with our food that, you know, for that food to be grown, it takes this long yep. for that seed to become that snow pea or for that little radish to grow up so quickly. So there's a quick version. But mm. What about that corn? That's going to take 90 days, 90 sleeps. So put that on your calendar and let's see whether it takes 90 or 86 or 103. Yeah. And 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 then they go, wow, so that was 103 sleeps ago. I'm going to appreciate that corn. I'm not going to eat a little bit of it and throw it out. You know, that's zucchini, the first one. That's ceremonial opportunity to say, you grew this. Now it's time. We're going to harvest. <laughs> Roll out the red carpet, cut that little zucchini that might only be that big, put it on the golden platter take it into the kitchen, do what you do with it, steam it, stir fry it, whatever, cut it up into six or seven pieces for whoever's there with the family and enjoy it. And then there won't be any off cut. There won't be even, even the stem bit won't be thrown away because you cook it because it'd be so tender because you've taught them that when 
you're growing varieties that you harvest directly. They don't need to be picked and then picked way in advance and, you know, be picked before things are ripe because they've got to be transported and they, you don't want them to damage in, in, in transit and all those things. No, you pick that strawberry and eat it and smell it before you eat it because it does have a smell and it just doesn't taste sweet like so many things have gone with with these with these varieties that are grown just for a sugary taste you know the heirloom varieties they had a, a nuance about the flavor they tasted you know that the, you, you tasted i reckon i tasted more of my grandfather's strawberries up my nose than i did in my gob because the smell was so beautiful you don't you buy a strawberry in the shop now you can't smell anything and um you know that's might knock not, yourself out with the chemicals <laughs> yeah well or even it's just that they're being hybridized to grow big and red and look like eye candy and go oh wow look at that bite it eh. whatevs but that's what we've demanded because we've been conditioned to think that a strawberry should be a big red perfect thing when it shouldn't be it should be these little bliss bombs that you pick in the garden because you've got a whole run of them running alongside the entry path of the house and you just sneak in there and try and beat the birds to them and go, ah, yep. oh, <laughs> yes. Beating the birds is definitely key, I think, especially the magpies. They love a good strawberry. Yeah, so exactly. You're making me quite uh, hungry thinking about the foods that we should be growing in our garden. So, and the strawberries, like my mouth is literally watering as you were talking about them. <laughs> So most of our listenership and readership is in the tropics. So can you give me five top tips for growing food in the tropics and which ones should we try to grow? Yeah, look, you know, one thing you've got to remember in the tropics is high temperature and humidity is an enemy to your traditional vegetable most of your traditional vegetables so it's not so, me it's the tropics is that what you're trying to say yeah <laughs> yeah it's the conditions it's the microclimate you know and trying to grow them during the hot wet season you know it's a recipe for disaster and and when people don't have and, and it upsets me when people don't have the right um information behind it i can see why they will just give up because they go, I put it out there and it gets attacked. It gets eaten by a million and one things. Of course it does because that humidity creates the ideal conditions for all manner of decomposers because that's the condition. That's how the tropics work. They break things. Something grows, it gets broken down. There's not big, rich, deep soils because everything's living in that constant grow up break down feed the soil for something else to grow up and break down so when we think like that then the most important thing we want to think about from a growing point of view is that we nurture and build a quality soil by getting lots of compost in there to create an organic layer which is going to feed things that will grow quickly but then we need to think okay you know in the in the in the dry season that's when, you know, you can go hard on most things because that's effectively like a springtime further south without that same humidity because you're not getting the rain, you, but you're getting the warmth, which, you know, further south, on the other hand, they 
they don't have the warmth so the soil's not warm enough to grow and they just get a shorter window you get a long window to grow but part of that window is split with the impact that the the the, the temperature has on creating a perfect condition for lots and lots of decomposers so as far as plants that you could you could grow i mean during the um the wet you know think about you know up there you're closer to asia than you are to the english cool climate of southern australia i'm not saying the english cool climate vegetables that people want to grow in southern australia right because i'm not even talking about native plants but that's another story but you know when you think all year round sweet potato is a classic you can eat the leaves and the tips as well. So that's like a green. You can eat the, the fresh tips on, as a salad. You can eat the leaves in a stir fry. The youngest leaves you can eat fresh. And then, of course, you get the potato as time goes on. Um, you know, your more traditional veg like capsicum, celery, pumpkin, zucchini, um, all of those and, and, and some of your Asian greens, all of those you want to grow in the dry. But then, you know, you can also grow something like kangkong, all year round, um, you know, your, your, your snake beans, they do really well. Uh, things like um, chard, you know, generally dry season for your silver beet, but you could still give it a go. It will, it will chug along. Um, and then, of course, wing beans, cucumbers, um, pumpkins, again, more on the dry season. And then, look, the good part about it is, I think go to your local community garden and there's plenty of good ones up there. Um, I'm really happy with some of the ones that are, are, are popping up in the, in the main, in, in the heart of cans where there's the, the, the highway road, uh, the, the bus lane, which maybe one day will become a bus lane, but they've been building a, a really good community garden there, but go there and look at what people are growing. Um, and when you see those, then, you know, okay, where's my book i'm going to write this down this is what's going on of course i haven't even talked about things like ginger and lemongrass those ongoing annual herbs and vietnamese mint Pah, that would just grow like a mongrel the whole time coriander you, you don't have to grow the coriander in the wet you can grow sawtooth coriander as well and did i mention chilies of course and different types of basil they 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 love those conditions um so, you know, that's just a bit of a mixed grill. And I, I suppose I haven't, haven't sort of talked about um, fruit, fruit, you know, you're, you're blessed with fruit in the tropics that, um, oh, sorry, my, my radio's just come on here. Um, yeah, of course, papaya, where, I mean, I learned that some people, a lot of people either like it or don't like it. I love it. Um, mangoes, of course, seasonal, but again, get into them and start to think, look at the, the the green you know not you know the green papaya and green mango in in different recipes um uh of course carrots uh sorry what am i on i'm on fruit yeah so that's just a few and and i'm not even talking about mango steens and 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 all of the other amazing tropical fruits that that you've got access to up there i'm envious yep. Yeah, you're making it making me hungry thinking about all the uh, all the amazing fruits and vegetables that we can grow in. We're not really a veggie climate, the tropics, but that's okay. There's um, you're not the yeah, not the uh, not the um, you know, the broccolis and things like that. But that's all good. I, we can you know, grow the good stuff. There's so many 
other um, different uh, leafy greens. I, I mean, Okinawan spinach is one of those plants. Um, Warrigal greens is a native that does really well um, under most conditions. And, you know, you can, you can just, you just parboil that a little just to, to um, make it safe to eat. And, um, you, you know, Okinawan spinach, again, it just grows and you can just pick that. And you've just got that as a staple, you know, it's almost like your, 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 your staple greens that we take for granted in other places, but that's just the start. There's so many um, different varieties that I see particularly growing in and around the subtropics and the tropics further south, which are perfectly suited up where you are in the, in the deeper tropics. So one of the things, I guess, the excuses that many people make is, you know, the time uh, that gardening takes, you know, how can we, you know, make gardening and growing our own food easier to fit into our busy lifestyles? Have you got any hacks? Oh, look, speaking of a hack, I, I should just mention to all the listeners, I'm down here at Lake George, just outside of Canberra. And there's the lake. It's it's beautiful scene here today. That's why I'm, I'm in a car because I'm, I'm heading back to Sydney, but I'm just loving this scene in front of me. It's so nice. Tourists, they would be heading to Floriard, I'm sure. And look at this team here. How pumped are they? Like they've all got their hats on and they're, they're loving the view. And by the way, the, the wind blowing over the lake is icy cold. <laughs> but, um, anyway, that's not our gardening podcast, but, but that's life. And I love life. I love seeing people. Enjoy and, nature. You know, absolutely. It's nice, you know. I mean, tulips aren't aren't a thing for the tropics, but you know, people coming down. I was I was at Floriard on the weekend, and there were people from all over Australia there. And the joy, the joy that flowers can bring. Um, oh, and by the way, I mean, your botanic gardens in Cairns—that's a must visit. But but not just for people coming to Cairns. I say to everyone that lives in Cairns, get out and get amongst those gardens if you want to learn. Well, it's not even about takeaway. Go there for the therapeutic aspect of gardening, for the sheer joy of walking through a space that can calm you, that can provide all sorts of benefits to you, not just the physical side of walking around and being outside and, and taking in mo different microbes from being in different places, but that emotional and, and mental um, benefit of being calmed by nature, that's where we're from. We are mm. nature. And the more time we can spend in nature, then the more we are back to our nature, our very nature, which is connected to the land around us. And in your case, you have incredible spaces all around you up there i mean you live between the rainforest and the reef and that that's not just a, a significant place in australia that that's that's planetary significance like there's billions of people on the planet and you know your your community is living in one of the most remarkable natural ecosystems that space has ever seen <laughs> like full stop you've got world heritage listed rainforest world heritage listed reef 
and you live right in the middle of it. And, and that goes back to what I was saying about that obligation and duty to make sure that our actions in, in sustaining our lives go that next step and actually regenerate and, mm. and look after and be fully understanding of and respectful of our actions and that they do not impinge or degenerate the landscape in which we live and in your case a planetarily I don't know if you can say that <laughs> a a planetarily significant landscape I love it so I'm going to ask the question again just because we got a bit distracted and I didn't yep. quite get the answer out of you so I'm just going to start from there again yeah <clears throat> me so how can we make gardening and growing our veggies easy to fit into our busy lifestyles? Because it's really easy for parents to think and kids to go, oh, I'm too busy. I've got too many things to do. I can't maintain a garden. Yeah, that's, that's always a, an interesting one because if you speak to anyone about, you know, the challenges of the day-to-day, often you'll find that, people rely on those people who are busy to get things done because we can find time and it's really a case of making time and you don't have to make a four hour slot. You don't have to make a one hour slot. I say to people, just make a 10 minute slot in the morning before you take off, go out into the garden and do something for 10 minutes. And then when you come home in the afternoon, even better, maybe start with that one. So, right, before I walk in the house, I'm going to go out into the garden. And that actually is like a baggage removal service because you can say, right, I'll leave the phone there and I'll just go for a walk in the garden and I might just check on the compost that I've just started or I'll just go and see how those little seedlings, my new family flatmates are going. And then and then while you're there, what what will start to happen? And that's, that's where this is an interesting answer to what you've asked. What will start to happen is that nature will begin to determine that length of time. And you might come in after a long day and go, oh, yeah, Costa said I should go out and do that. And then all of a sudden, Costa's out of your mind. I have to go and do some gardening. It's like, no, I want to go and check on the flatmates oh, actually, I've got to give that a bit of a water. And, oh, look, the strawberries are almost, I might put a little bit of a, a, little bit of a net over that section. Um, oh, do I need to turn the compost? Yeah, and there's a bit of uh, carbon there, a little bit of cardboard. I'll put a bit of that in. And, oh, look at that. This is flowering. Actually, I'll just get my phone, take a photo of that. Now, what date was that? Oh, that, so I put, when did I put that in? I can't remember. Oh, that's right. I've got a journal. Got a, oh, I actually put that in six weeks ago. Look how far they've advanced. I'll just write that down, you know, first snow pee after six weeks, wow. whatever that detail is. And, and when you think like that, what you're actually doing is taking it out of your head and you're letting nature connect with you rather than us living our prescriptive, oh, yes, I've diarized that. At the beginning, I think it's important. And like I said, just say, all right, I'll, I'll diarize 10 minutes. On a Tuesday and a Thursday, I'm going to go out. And then by the second week, you'll be just going out and not thinking, did I say Tuesday and Thursday? Because 
it starts to become a habit. Habit, and I yeah. Think when we make something a habit, then it starts to get some priority in the list. When it starts to get priority, um, a habit then moves to the next level, which is, well, that's what we do. And if that's what we do, that's actually culture. Because we as a family, I remember when I was looking after my godchildren, I said, every day before we go to school, we read to get our minds ready for the day ahead. So we have to have our teeth brushed, shoes on, bags packed, and then we sit and we read for 15 minutes. And that just became, it wasn't like, oh, well, there's only five minutes today. No, the other stuff waits because you have to be, we're leaving, I'd just say we're leaving <clears throat> quarter past eight. That means eight o'clock, that's the deadline. And when we think like that, then we, we grow a family culture. And then that culture connects to everything around the importance of nature, the importance of food, the importance of taking time to connect and be whatever you want to call it, meditation, mindfulness, or just in nature, relaxing and allowing that therapeutic aspect of being outdoors ooze over you. I love that. And it's so true. The more it becomes part of our culture and just what we do as a family, uh, the better. Yeah. So my last question is, because obviously insects and wildlife play a huge part in, you know, growing our own food and growing great plants in our garden. How can we attract more insects and wildlife into our backyard? I suppose there's two approaches there. We can stop doing some behaviours and then we can exacerbate and really go for, for it with, with new behaviours or some things that we may be doing but not enough of. So, of course, first of all, we've got to think outside the box of sanitising. Don't rake up everything and, and put it into the green bin. We want mulch surfaces. We want branches um, laying in the mulch. We we want um, some. We 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 want that breakdown to be happening. Because when it's breaking down, there's insects there, and those insects attract other insects, and then other insects uh, predate on those insects, and then spiders and birds come in, and the predator the predator predated relationship starts to spin but if we rake and treat our gardens like they're a room like a room of the house not a room of nature then we remove the building blocks of of life which are all of all of the small insects the invertebrates if we don't have them we don't have a food chain and when we think food chain then we will bring all of those wonderful um, aspects of biodiversity into our life. But what's the, what's the building block there? The insects come because there's plants, and the plants are there and they're dropping leaves and they're breaking down and that starts to build the soil. The plants bring flowers, the flowers attract the insects, the insects attract the birds and the marsupials. And then we go, well, what habitat can we create? Well, we need a multi-layered garden. We don't just want big trees because then all the big birds are there and the small birds don't have anywhere to feel safe. We need 
of course, ground cover so that it's not too hot and there's breakdown to bring the spiders. We need, we need grasses to provide habitat for small marsupials to move through the landscape. We need shrubs that are, are, are small and spiky to give the birds somewhere to, to hide and to, to move between their feeding times. We need water in there for the marsupials to come and sip water and for the birds to come. Um, we then need slightly taller um, shrubs to again protect and provide some, some habitat that's not windy and not exposed. So we've got some shade. And then of course we have trees for the next order of predators and life. So when, when we think like that, plants, but to get plants, we need the soil. So we need to look after the soil to grow the plants to create the habitat, to welcome the insects and the building blocks of life. And then we'll have a biodiverse habitat that will bring in all layers of, um, all layers of life itself. It's such an incredible, Mother Nature is so incredible, really, when you think about it. Oh, it, it, it is. You, you know, like you, you've got little jumping spiders and people go, oh, you know, then of, of course you know we've got to stop we've got to stop using sprays because we knock out the predators and we think oh well, we'll knock that out but if you knock that out if you knock that one little chain out it throws the whole order because they're serving a purpose and when, even when you think about snails snails are food for birds snails are food for little marsupials yet we want to go and kill them but if we kill them as secondary predators we kill the next level up the food chain. If we're constantly baiting, constantly poisoning, we're not just poisoning one, we're, we're poisoning the ecosystem itself. And we're part of that. So whatever we do to nature, we're doing to ourselves. And I don't want to get over the top on that because I don't dwell in that space. I like to dwell on the, if we bring all those in, then you won't have uh, an oversupply of snails because you'll have the birds and the marsupials in there. So every action has a, a, a reaction and a action. Mm. And that's what makes it more interesting because as you build the habitat and you build the biodiversity, you suddenly get nature's services back in action. And that doesn't require any effort from you then. And that's the best thing. Like I've even got all of a sudden pawpaws just popping up from nowhere and I don't even know where oh. they've come from. So like, I think once you have those things in your yard, like, all of those birds and insects are, are just amazing and it makes your garden just so much more you can just sit out there have a cup of tea and just watch in awe half the time it's oh, amazing that's the other thing yeah exactly that just go out and observe yep you'll be amazed and that's where you open up that next level for children to get involved with citizen science and join the backyard bird count and jump on the app and go out and sit and just observe and say all right there's a willy wagtail there's three crows. There's um, two honey eaters. Oh, that was um, a seagull. This was something else. That was something else. Like all of a sudden, you, you know, you're using, you're using time differently in the garden. The wild pollinator count, which is coming up in, you know, it's done every autumn and spring. You're going out and just watching a flower and seeing what comes to that flower over 20 minutes. That's 20 minutes. But because you're going there with an intent, you're not thinking, oh, what am I going to do for 20 minutes? You're observing. And the more you observe, the more you refine a, an acute 
capacity to see nature. Mm. If you've spent time out there, you'll miss it because yeah. you won't be tuned. And, and that capacity to tune in, nature will tune back. If you put a signal out, it'll return the signal. Say, I'm here. It'll go, so are we. Have a look over there. Oh, yep. what about, oh, oh, look at this. Oh, I didn't realise that that's the shady side of the building and that's why these plants are going well or that one's struggling because it's seeking the sun. So, so there's lots of um, different ways. Oh, gee, life is beautiful. Like if you could see, there's a, there's a person in a wheelchair and he's being pushed along by his little son who would be about three, if that. And it's just that stuff. I mean, that's what I mean. If, if, you, if you're attuned to that. You'll see that sort of thing all the time. And, and if you're attuned to, to nature and seeing the little birds and, and seeing things like that, you know, you, you get to you get see, see the little boy. See now, look at that. That's what a beautiful that is, view. That is a beautiful thing. But but that's going on in nature all the time, you know, with insects and birds and and um you know, it's just that when we when we wind back a little, we only need to wind back a little to actually open up a lot. Yes. Oh, sorry, I, I've left the that's okay well my son like my youngest son he's obsessed with being out in the garden and uh he has trained the penny lizards to come to him um and he he hand feeds them little insects that he's caught for them so he's become the lizard god in our yard but he's got a lizard shrine and um the lizards are even that uh excited to they hear his voice and they'll they actually even come into the garage to see him now it's so hilarious so um, and that's that's not a that's not far-fetched. That's reality. That's, it is. That's, that's a nature whisperer right there. And, and, that's, and, and, you know, someone could write that off and say blah, 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 but it's, it's not a, a write-off. It's actually true because nature is only our capacity to engage with nature is as limited as the door or the window we open for it to enter. And if that's, you know, backing the car out and zooming off in the morning and zooming in at night and getting a blower and blowing all the leaves away well you're missing out yeah so there you have it get in the garden get your kids out there and um, get a journal I love that idea of getting a journal and uh, documenting um, you know things that you're growing and observing whether that be plants or animals but uh, any parting words Costa before we wrap up our show today yeah I I think I think as adults, we've got an innate obligation to to nurture the the innocence and independence of children to stay at home. And when I say stay at home, stay in nature and not be pushed away from it by virtue of age and indifference and and habits and behaviors that are thrown on them by adults of the world that have become cynical um that's why you know something like something as simple as as the project that uh junior land is talking about like get outside and what's in your backyard you know put put your nature goggles on and go out and have a look like you know, it's almost so simple that 
It's too simple. But that's it, nature. When you break it down and then you start to see each item in its pure than the most over-the-top algorithm equation because simplicity is what works and it works because it's engaged and embedded and infused with everything around it. So to be able to say to children, go outside and start seeing with your eyes and seeing with your ears and hearing with your nose and tasting with your ears and and seeing with your mouth and tasting with your your nose like all of those things you know that capacity to go out and 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 see nature experience it with those senses that that we have and then take it in start to appreciate what it is and then build an encyclopedia of nature experiences we'll build a population that will step up stand up and really regenerate a wild a wild world they will rewild the world because they'll have deeply embedded in them a respect and obligation and um you know duty is is a beautiful thing because it's way bigger than than all of us but equally we can help regenerate and repair a lot more than the sum of the parts when we work together. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Costa, for sharing so much wisdom. You've uh, definitely inspired me to get more things growing in my garden and spend more time in nature uh, with my family and uh, eating more strawberries, not only with my mouth, but my nose. I love that. Yes. That's fantastic. Every time I eat a strawberry, I'm going to think of Costa and I'm going to go, hold on a minute. I've got to eat it with my nose and eat more strawberries with my nose and my mouth. First bite bite is your nose going. And then second bite is your mouth. Done. And then third is is the sound when you're sort of licking your lips and going, oh, God, that was good. Yeah, especially in a a strawberry daiquiri. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, Enjoy the beautiful view that you've got going on there. But uh, remember, any important links that we spoke about will be found in the show notes. But thanks so much for being on the show today. Absolute pleasure, Bree. Thanks for having me. And until next time, happy parenting. And remember to tell everyone you heard it on PackBag. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you want to be an expert guest or you've got a weird, wacky or wonderful product to share, don't be shy. Get in contact with our team at info at This podcast is proudly produced by PacMag. You can listen to more episodes on our website, pacmag.com.au.